What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 284 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Facebook and on Twitter slash X for the latest updates. Great to be back with you folks last week. Uh, apologize for the uh, No Guest Friday last week. Had uh, some scheduling stuff that came up, but good news is we will have Guest Friday back this week uh, with an old friend. <laughs> it's been a while, uh, but Eric Bellier will return to the program uh, this week for Guest Friday. We'll be talking all things uh, baseball offseason. We'll get um, Eric's take of the Red Sox hiring Craig Breslow. We'll probably get his take on some uh, off-season awards as well, and then kind of a look ahead for uh, what's going to happen this off-season um, in baseball. So looking forward to that later this week, but catch you guys here on this uh, Monday, November 6th. And it's, uh, you know, I think for the most part, I think when we talk on this program, um, this time of year, you know, typically we're starting with the Patriots, you know, and we're starting talking about, you know, the team that I think is a lot of people, you know, want to talk about. We're not going to do that today. You know, I think has does have a lot to do with the fact that, you know, the team is not performing well. But I think that the last couple of weeks, I think that we've spent maybe too much time focusing in on the negative, you know, and obviously... It's easy to talk negative when your team is two and five, two and six, two and seven, you know, and it continues to get worse. But I think I've realized that, you know, I think this is a program that I've always prided myself, always pride this, or I always pride this program on being kind of taking a optimistic look at the teams. Um, and so that's why I think we're going to start somewhere else today than we typically would. Um, so we're starting with the Celtics. We will still cover the Patriots. Yes, we still will. Not going to just not cover them. That's, you know, not how it works. But um, I figured that it makes sense to start on a more positive note, you know, with the teams. And I think this Monday morning, yeah, there's a lot of negativity getting thrown around with the Patriots. And, you know, maybe, maybe rightfully so, but we are not going to focus on that right now. Um, the Celtics are 5-0, and the best record in the NBA. I know that Denver is technically 6-1, and you know, it's pretty basically the same record, but the Celtics are undefeated, the only NBA team that is undefeated through five games. So, obviously, I think it's been a dream start for this team. I think that you've seen them play some close games against some, I think, quality opponents, opponents that you could possibly see in the postseason, you know, kind of some grinded out games where you learned a lot about yourself. And I think, you know, talking about those first two games, I really thought that the Celtics, you know, hung in during some moments that I think maybe a year ago would have been too difficult. And I think, then you saw this team last week, you know, dominate teams in terms of, you know, what they can do offensively. You know, I think both of the wins last week, Washington and Indiana, there's not a whole lot to break down from those two games. I think the Celtics just pulverized the Wizards and the Pacers and, you know, got to a point Wednesday where the Celtics are flirting with the most points scored in, in, fran in franchise history. You know, they scored 75 points in the first half, 80 points in the second half, and it just kept coming. And I think one of the positives from that game is the Celtics made no mistake. You know, we're up by a lot of points and continued to, you know, put the foot to the gas pedal and continue to play high-level, high-intensity basketball. And I think, you know, it's 
a step up from what they were doing last year where, you know, or last year, even the last couple of years where this team seemingly has a penchant for playing unbelievably well for part of a game, building a massive lead and then letting the other team back into the game, which it kind of happened a little bit on Monday last week in Washington where, you know, you had the bench guys come in and the lead kind of dwindled from 35, 30 points down to, you know, about 15 or 20. I mean, the game was never in doubt, but I think it was the opposite on Wednesday. You know, the starters built the lead and the backups came in and made the lead bigger. And I think there's something to be said for this team, hopefully figuring it out that, okay, when you have a less than stellar opponent that you really can kind of, you know, bury, you did that, you know, you beat an Indiana team by 50 points. Now, you don't have to win every game by 50 points against a lesser opponent, but I think it was just good to see that, okay, they saw the big lead, but they were continually, you know, playing the way that they were playing and not, you know, changing it, playing the score and that sort of thing. You know, and I thought it was interesting that there was an article that was written after that Indiana game in the Globe that referenced Joe Mazzulla talking about a game from last year in which the Celtics built, I think it was like a 30-point lead in the first half against Brooklyn. I'm going to go back and see if I can find this game. Yes, it was a game from early March last season. The Celtics lost 115-105, but had built a had built like a 20-plus point lead in the first half. And then the Nets came back to win. And so using that game as kind of a reference point to be like, okay, we had a game like this last year where you went ahead by 20, 30 points and you lost. And I think that that's a good thing to kind of use to be like, okay, you know, let's not have a loss like that. So I think... (laughs) You know, Joe Mazzulla and the coaching staff deserve a lot of credit, but I think the players deserve credit, too, for that, where, you know, if they're not playing around with the game, they are, you know, remaining focused, being professional, and, you know, keeping the same intensity, keeping the same level of hustle, and, you know, I think just you're seeing a much more focused team this year. You know, and I know it's easy to say five games in when they're 5-0, and but I think in the early going, you're seeing a team that is, you know, so focused and so kind of becoming more cohesive and connected as a team that, you know, they know that they have a tremendous opportunity. And what we've seen so far, they're not going to let it slip. Um, and I think... Speaking of that game last week, I thought Jalen Brown was a really spectacular uh, 36 points in that win against Washington. Jason Tatum obviously was great Wednesday night, obviously was great Saturday, became the youngest Celtics player uh, to post 10,000 career points. Um, And it's it's just unbelievable to watch him work, watch him get better every single game, it seems like, you know, and it just is unbelievable that he came in as, as this 19 year old with you know so much expectation put on him and he's pretty much you know performed to expectations given you you know the expectation and yes he's not totally all the way there you know I think that there still is that elusive championship there still is you know MVP awards and all that but I think you're seeing a player that is really starting to mature and understand, you know, his importance to the team and his importance to this, you know, franchise that I think has really been hoping to get back to that, you know, mountaintop of winning an NBA championship and, you know, hopefully more, you know, hopefully Jason's a guy that's not satisfied with just winning one championship that, 
you know, he wants to push himself to be one of the Celtics greats, you know, and he's arguably already one of those if he's, you know, scoring the points that he's scoring at this rate and, you know, becoming youngest Celtics player to do this, you know, youngest player to do this, you know, scoring whatever points per game, you know, maybe winning an MVP, who knows, but I think the Celtics are just extremely lucky that they have him and they have Jalen Brown and they've been able to, I think, really this year surround them with the best possible talent to, you know, get them to that next step. So, you know, Jason was great in this game. You know, I think that what's going to be interesting over the next month or so as the Celtics really start getting hammered with games every other day, basically, you know, is how does the bench perform? You know, and I think we saw a lot of that in Brooklyn where, you know, Derek White had to miss the game. I think that um, he and his wife are expecting their second child. So obviously congratulations to them. But I think anytime you're going to miss a player that's part of your rotation, that means that there's going to be more minutes for the bench. And that's what you saw on Saturday. You know, Hauser, Pritchard saw a lot of action. You know, O'Shea Bursette. Uh, Luke Cornett, I would say Al Horford, but he actually started in this game. But I think this stretch of all these games in such a short amount of time, it's going to be important for the bench to continue to kind of play at a high level and, you know, perform each and every night to help this team that you know, guys like Al Horford, Porzingis, you know, you may see guys just kind of taking a game off here and there. Um, it's going to be really important for that bench to be able to continue to, you know, play effectively. And I think it's an 82-game season. You're not going to play great every single night. You know, the bench is not going to be great every single night. But I really thought that Luke Cornett stepped in on Saturday and played some really good minutes. Um, and played, I think, critical minutes at a time where that game was becoming really close. Um, and I thought that he in the second unit did a good job of, you know, keeping the team in a position where they could, you know, win the game. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think that it could be, you know, different guys every night that step up and have big games. But I think they're going to need that level of consistency for the next month or so because, like I said, the schedule's crazy. I think it's like 14 games in 25 days, which is, you know, ridiculous. But I think for guys like Pritchard and Hauser and Brissett and Cornette, you know, guys like that, they're going to need to make the most of their playing time. You know, it'll be interesting to see what other minutes guys get on the bench you know, do you see any of Lamar Stevens? Do you see any of Luke? Do you see any of uh, Nemias Keita, who signed a two-way deal um, and played really well, I thought, in the preseason? So it's opportunities, hopefully, for those guys. Um, but I think really it's maintaining that level of consistency. You know, the Celtics uh, do have a very busy week. <laughs> this week they travel to or continue their road trip, I should say, traveling to Minnesota to take on the Timberwolves tonight. Very curious about how that game goes. Timberwolves are have been statistically a pretty good defensive team this year. So, you know, could be a good test for the Celtics, who I think, you know, face some quality defenses in Miami and New York the first two games. I think this will be another test. So curious how they do in Minnesota. Then they travel to Philadelphia, take on the Sixers on Wednesday night, and then they come home for a three-game homestand. First two are against Brooklyn and Toronto. Celtics will play their first um, in-season tournament game against Brooklyn on Friday on ESPN. So that started, obviously, this past Friday. Teams will play four, uh, so I think it's six groups of five teams, so each team plays four games. 
depending on how they do there, they advance to the knockout stage. And so Celtics will have their first game of the tournament against Brooklyn on Friday, 7.30 start. And then Saturday, we'll be back at the Garden against Toronto at 7 o'clock. So I think just before we get going to another topic, uh, Jordan Walsh, it sounds like, was sent down to uh, the G League domain. So I think a smart idea. You know, I think good for him to get as many, you know, minutes and looks as he can get. You know, I think, unfortunately, really wasn't going to get a lot of looks here in Boston, at least at this point. So, you know, I think it's a good opportunity for him to go down there or up there to Maine, I guess you could say, um, and get some, get some minutes. So, you know, busy week upcoming for the Celtics, and I think they're going to be pretty busy the rest of the month. So the good news is a lot of Celtics games, you know, maybe the not-so-good news is there's going to be a lot of minutes that these guys are playing for the next month or so. But the good news is the Celtics actually have a massive break coming up. Um, they have an 11-day stretch where they do not play a game. I'm not sure why that is, um, but it's you go until December 1st. Oh, you know what? That must be the break for the for the tournament um, for the um, like knockout games of the in-season tournament. So maybe it's not 11 days, but I think they maybe have not scheduled or obviously have not scheduled the knockout game. So that's probably why there's a big stretch there. But obviously, huge stretch of games for the Celtics. They tip tonight at 8 o'clock in Minnesota against the Timberwolves. So we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Bruins, who have also been pretty busy at three games this past week. The last were with you Monday afternoon uh, before the Bruins played the Penguins or the uh, before the Bruins played the Panthers uh, rematch, obviously, from last year's first round series. And I think a number of things to talk about here. Um, so I think first off, prior, I think it was prior t- to this game, maybe it was a game last week, and maybe I missed it, that would be, no, okay, so it was last week, Uh, the Bruins finally coming to terms uh, with Danton Heinen on a one-year deal, so that, yes, came in last Monday, so that's kind of the first bit of news that happened uh, after we went off the air last week, so Heinen obviously had signed a professional tryout agreement with the Bruins prior to the start of training camp, so Good to have him signed. You know, I think the Bruins made this decision soon after. You know, Patra was going to be in the lineup, obviously signifying that he was not going to be sent down to juniors and he was going to stay with the Bruins. So Bruins come to terms with Heinen, which I think is a really smart signing. I think that is someone that, you know, understands what it's like to play for this team plays a really intelligent brand of hockey. And I think the most important thing is he comes pretty cheap. And I think that you look at this team with the salary cap constraints constraints that they have this year, having someone that can play super effectively, can play a really versatile brand of hockey. You know, really, you can slot him anywhere in the lineup and only costing the league minimum. You know, I think... You're going to do that every single time. So he's been in, I'm trying to think for a second. I think he's played, he's played the last three games. He's played the last three games, um, obviously Florida, Toronto, and then Saturday in Detroit. So I think good, smart signing. You know, the Bruins, I think, can use any of those kind of lower in the lineup and bottom six guys, you know, and I think obviously with 
the injuries to Lucic and to Lauko, you know, it made sense that the Bruins could bring in Heinen. Um, but I think the last previous two games before the Detroit game on Saturday, I thought the Bruins really had some two important, you know, team building type of wins. Um, I think especially the Florida game coming back from the two goal deficit, winning in overtime, you know, I think obviously a win like that does not erase the sting of last year. It still sucks. You know, I think losing that series and that game seven still is going to be a bad memory, but I think the Bruins being able to get that win against that team gave them a really good kind of team building experience where, you know, Heinen comes back into the lineup, Patra plays his 10th game, and I think it just felt like a good emotional win for a team that has had a really good start to the season, and I think, like last year, are surprising a lot of people, so... I thought the team really fought in that game, and I thought it was a great, you know, emotional win, and the Bruins followed it up with another really good win. You know, obviously, blowing a two-goal lead, not the best thing, but I think getting the win in the shootout, seeing the debut of Mason Lowry, you know, just another exciting game, and I think, sure, this team has been down some players recently, you know, Grizzly having to go on long-term injured reserve, McAvoy having to deal with his suspension. He's uh, suspended for two more games. You know, Bruins have been, I think, pretty shorthanded defensively in the last two games. You've seen Parker Watherspoon play the last two games. Lowrise obviously played the last two games. Um, and Ian Mitchell's been called back up. I think, you know, Lowry was really good, I thought, in his debut against Toronto. Had a really good pass on his, um, had the assist on, I think, Zaka's goal um, in, uh, in that game against Toronto. So I thought he looked pretty solid. You know, I think it's good opportunity, of course, for him to get some games in. You know, I think that you would hope it wasn't in this type of situation where, you know, you're missing a lot of regulars. Um, Derek Forbert's also missed the last couple games, so, you know, someone like Lowry really gets thrown into the fire, but I thought that he did do a really good job um, in that Toronto game, and I think really didn't look out of place. Now, things kind of came apart for the Bruins on Saturday um, in Detroit as they lost their first game in regulation this season, kind of got away from them similar to kind of how the Anaheim game went a couple weeks ago. Um, Bruins building a two-goal lead in the first period. Detroit scores three goals in the third, take it away. Um, And the Bruins obviously lose their first game in regulation, ending their season opening point streak. So I think that, yes, you want to go out and you want to try to win every game. You know, I think that... That's obviously the goal. Games like this are going to happen, I think, where it's just going to get away from you. The Bruins took way too many penalties in this game, whether it was, you know, fair or not. You know, I know Jim Montgomery had a lot of things to say to the officials right after the game. So, you know, maybe some of the officiating was not great, but I think, you know, Bruins lose this game, and I think a game that just got away from them. I think you go to the penalty box eight times in this game. You know, you let Detroit stick around in this game. Detroit, obviously, is a very high-scoring team. They've been a pretty good team so far this season. And I think, you know, something could be said for the fact that the Bruins really seemingly seemingly outplayed them the last time they played at the Garden. You know, Detroit wanted to prove on their home ice that, okay, you're not going to push us around in our in our arena. So, you know, credit to the Red Wings with a three-goal third, taking control of the game. But I think, you know, losing or have, being without three of your regular defensemen, you know, is going to hurt you at some point. And I think that's kind of just what happened. 
you know, Olmark did not have the best game. I thought the guys in guys in front of him weren't great, but I think again, games like this are going to happen. You're going to have games where teams are going to score a lot of goals. You know, I would hope that the Bruins don't get into too many of these games because I don't know if they, you know, really have the scoring punch like they did last year, you know, to play in these 5-4 games. But I think, again, games like this are going to happen and there's not much you can do. You know, you just hope that the Bruins can come back with a better defensive game tonight in Dallas against another team that, while they've not been scoring a lot of goals, as many as Detroit, they still have a lot of guys that can beat you with speed. So Bruins really going to have to be on their heels tonight playing against a team with Jason Robertson and Rupe Hintz and Joe Pavelski, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, just to name a few. So, you know, you hope that the Bruins are up to the task tonight. See if Derek Forbert can return. You know, I think penalty kill... Six for eight obviously isn't terrible, um, but I think you don't want to be going to the box eight times, letting a power play like Detroit's get out opportunity after opportunity. So, you know, I think some good things in this game, James Van Riemsdyk with a couple points, you know, shocker, he has more points than, does have more points than Tyler Bertuzzi this season, just as an interesting thing, but I thought he was good, you know, Patra getting the goal, having an assist as well. So um, I think Swayman gets the start tonight in Dallas. Curious to see if they get anyone back. I do think that Forbert is on the trip, so he could be available tonight. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. Um, you know, again, Dallas, a decent team, you know, I think actually first place in the Central. So, yes, they are a pretty good team at the Central. Other than Dallas and Colorado, no team really is off to the best start. Um, But Dallas with only 30 goals scored this season, so kind of a lower-scoring team. So Bruins again on the road. You know, obviously it's old news, but I think great that the Bruins... Sticking with Matt Patra, you know, keeping him in Boston. Um, I think obviously there is always a possibility that he could get sent down um, at some point. But, you know, I think seven points in his first 11 games, you're going to take that. You know, for a kid that coming into training camp, I think, respectfully, no one thought he was going to make this team. You know, I think that, again, it really goes to his attitude that, he said from the beginning he was going to make it hard on the Bruins to send him down, and obviously that it it worked because he's still with the team, and I think playing some games, playing at a really high level, and I think, sure, there are going to be some ups and downs. He's 19. It's going to happen, you know, so you just hope that the Bruins can put him in the best position to succeed, um, and I think it's really checking a lot of boxes just... The, the poise with the puck, I think, is the thing that jumps out to me. I know I've said this a million times already, but I think you just watch the way that he plays with the puck. It's just in control. Um, and I, I, hate to, I, I hate to compare him to Bergeron. I really do. But it's just the way that he is just so calm and poised and confident in making the right play. It was a very simple play. But if you saw that pass he made to Pasternak on the power play goal in the third period in Detroit, it's just like he makes plays like that and he makes it look so simple. And I think, you know, again, you want to hope the Bruins can put him in the best position to succeed. But it's working. It really is. And I think it's just yet another reason to be excited about this team this year. And yes. You are allowed to be excited as much as last year stunk. And if people don't want to get their hopes up, I understand that. But, you know, there there are reasons to be excited about this team. There are reasons to be excited about the future. And this kid is the reason why. And it's like, you saw him, you've seen Lowry the last two games, and it's just... 
it's it's an exciting time to be a Bruins fan. It really is. And yes, as much as Olmark struggled Saturday in Detroit, you have the best goalie tandem in the league. You know, and you're playing shorthanded defensively. You know, it, it, it stinks that McAvoy got suspended, I think. The the thing that frustrated me about that is it was kind of unavo- it was kind of avoidable on McAvoy's part. It didn't really seem like he needed to make contact, but you know, it happened and you know, he's gotta sit and the team has to kind of pick up the slack. But I think, you know, it's a good opportunity for some of these defensemen that may not have gotten a chance. Um, you know, like Lowry, like Watherspoon, you know, a guy that I'm not familiar with, but picked did pick up an assist on Saturday. So, you know, it's losses are going to happen. I know it sounds crazy. Ten games into the season, Bruins lose their first game. But I think, yes, the team's going to lose more games. That's just what's going to happen. But I think, you know, it's not really a huge cause for concern. Um, so Bruins next game, obviously tonight in Dallas, 8 o'clock start. Then they will return home Thursday against the Islanders. And then on Saturday, will make their first trip to Montreal to play the Canadiens. So that will be interesting. Bruins, Canadiens, always a fun game to watch. Um, so McAvoy's first game back from suspension will be that game. So we'll see. uh We'll see what kind of sparks fly in that game. But I think two really good team-building wins for the Bruins last week. You know, it stinks to lose in Detroit against a team that's, you know, probably going to be chasing you all season. But I think, you know, they're going to happen. But I think the important thing is working to try to get better every game. So we'll see how they do tonight in Dallas. It's a pretty good game. Two teams that are a combined is 16-3-2 in the early going of the season. So again, 8 o'clock start tonight. Bruins and Stars. So I think we're going to move on. And yeah, we're going to have to uh, going to have to talk Patriots now. You know, done, done with all the positive stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so getting into the Patriots and... You know, I think, clearly, disappointing loss yesterday. Um, A game that I think you take away, you know, records and all that. And, you know, is it better to lose games and all that? That whole conversation. You take all of that away, the Patriots blew another opportunity in this game. You know, a chance to take the lead, win the game late. You know, and they can't do it. You know, pass goes off the hands of Juju Smith-Schuster, intercepted, and that's it. You know, and it's the kind of the third game that you can look at this season where it's like, okay, they have had the football last possession type thing with a chance to go win the game, and they come up short. And obviously it's been disappointing because, you know, I think that a lot of us, including myself, thought that this was the year that that was going to turn around. You know, that they were going to be able to make the plays late in games and not have, you know, games that are, you know, really frustrating to lose. You know, and I think you've had two of the more frustrating losses uh, this season over the last two weeks. I think games where you made some mistakes, but you felt like there was a shot that you could you know, come back and make enough plays. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just, it's going by the wayside, all these chances. And, you know, the NFL is a league that if you don't capitalize, you're going to lose games. And obviously this team has lost a lot of games this year. Um, And it's too bad because you have a lot of guys in this team that work their ass off, that really pride themselves on playing hard and trying to do the right thing and, you know, playing football the right way. And it's not going that way. You know, the, the results are not showing up. And I think for guys like Matthew Slater, guys like 
Jawan Bentley and Jabril Peppers and, you know, some of the guys on defense that I think really put their heart and soul into the game to continue to lose games like this is just, it can't be easy. You know, and I think it's not a place that I think anyone thought they would be. I didn't think they would be at this point. You know, I thought at worst, maybe they'd be four and five at this point. You know, yes, granted, the, the schedule for the first half or so of the season was going to be really challenging. And I thought that, okay, this is the part of the schedule that maybe you could take advantage of. But, you know, when you're making mistakes and you're blowing chances late in games, you know, you're not really going to have a chance to beat anyone. So it's disappointing because... I do believe that this is not a team that's two that should be looked at as a two and seven team. I don't think they should be looked at as a team that's close to the Arizona Cardinals, who I think are by far the worst team in the league. I don't think they deserve to be categorized as like with a team like that. I think that they're better than that. I think that you know, yeah, the record says that they're one of the worst teams in the league, but I think that you look at some of the games that they've played this year, they've just come up short. You know, you think about winning two of those games that I mentioned, that you've had the football with a chance to win. You win two of those games, you're four and five, and yeah, it's not great, but it's much better than what it is now. So, you know, it's just... It, it, it sucks to lose, and it sucks to be in this situation. And I know that maybe there are some people that can compartmentalize and be like, okay, well, it sucks to lose, but maybe we'll get a better draft pick. And maybe that's a fair, a fair assessment, but it's hard because, you know, I really thought that this was going to be a good year for this team. Now, granted... There have been a lot of major injuries, and I think injuries that they're probably not going to be able to overcome. And what I mean by that is, you know, getting back into contention. You know, obviously that's way out of the question at this point, but I think you thought about this a couple weeks ago, or even when the injuries happened, like to Judon and Gonzalez, you were like, okay, you know, maybe this team can find a way, but... I think it's just, it's very clear that you have a, a team, I think specifically offensively, that is just lagging, just, just lacking um, in, you know, guys that you can have confidence in to make plays no matter what. And, you know, I think it's, it's just, it's difficult here because I think when you have a team that, you know, is coming off an eight-win year in which a year that you were close to the postseason, you were a game away from the postseason. The year before, you won 10 games and you went to the postseason. And I think when a team goes through those two years where, you know, somewhat decently competitive, but then has a year like this, I think it's it's always a combination of things. You know, it's the injuries. I think that the major injuries that you've seen over the last couple of weeks, I think that the lack of continuity and injuries kind of played a role in this with the offensive line. And the line's not really done a good job this year in terms of protecting Mac Jones. And I think that's part of the reason why he's not played well this year. But I also think Mac hasn't really taken that step that you would expect him to take in the in, in, in this third year. And yes, it's difficult for a guy like him to go through his third kind of different offensive system, but you kind of felt like, okay, this was the year that they're putting a lot of confidence into him. They bring in an offensive coordinator that I think, honestly, has done a decent job. I really don't think that this team's issues on offense have a lot to do with Bill O'Brien. You know, I think he's kind of doing the best he can with what he has. 
at this point. And I think, you know, it just is disappointing that it's all kind of falling apart around them and they're losing all these games. And I think it's leading to kind of unfortunate and kind of, I would say, unfair questions of the leadership of this team. And I think, you know, the conversation about what this roster is, I think is a conversation for another day. You know, I'm here to break down what happens in games. And yeah, there are guys that have disappointing games and guys that have had disappointing years and not really making the jumps that you would like. And I think there it's a combination of a bunch of different things. And I think that anytime you have a team that has this type of record, it's not as cut and dried as, okay, this is the problem. You know, there it's always going to be a combination of factors. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, you know, find something to be positive about with this team because that was a team that you probably should have beaten yesterday. And I think, again, no matter what your stance is in terms of if you want this team to lose or not, it still sucks to lose in the way that they did. Um, because anytime you have a chance to win a game, you want to win a game. You know, I just, again, have a hard time with uh, losing on purpose mentality, but I don't think that that's going to happen. But it's like they might just lose because maybe they're just not a good football team. And they've shown us this year that they're not a good football team. And You know, you may just have to ride it out for the next eight games and you know, see what your younger guys can do, you know, giving guys opportunities and you see what they can do. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's difficult because I think you still want to go out and be competitive and try to win games. But at the same time, you want to recognize where you are in the standings and okay, if postseason is probably not a reasonable goal, you know, what's the next reasonable goal that you can have? You know, giving time to the younger guys, seeing what you really have in the quarterback, which I think there's going to need to be some serious discussions about whether this quarterback is the correct quarterback to lead this team. I think I've been seeing things in the last few weeks and months that lead me to believe that the answer is no. And if that the answer is no, then... How do you improve that? Do you go find someone in free agency? Do you make a big time trade? Depending on your draft position, do you look at drafting another person? You know, I think, yes, as much as they continue to lose games, I don't believe that they're going to finish the year 2-15. and 15. You know, I happen to think that you're probably winning at least two more games, if not three, which I think takes you out of the top couple of quarterbacks. And I think, look, if you're wanting this team to pick Caleb Williams, they're, they're not going to end up that bad. And I also think that, yes, quarterback is a big need if you choose to move on. But it's like you also need to improve that offensive line because the Lions had a really tough time this year. And I think you really have to, you know, think about making some changes at certain positions. So, you know, it's a lot to think about, but I think in terms of kind of the long-term future, if you want to talk about this whole thing with the coach, um, I think that it's easy for some people to kind of jump on the coach and jump on the team who, you know, this team that those people have been warning us about for years that, oh, this team isn't very good you know, and saying these things, even while the team was competing and winning Super Bowls and being competitive, now they have an actual reason to be like, you know, oh, see, I told you this whole time, this team and this coach wasn't good. And it's just my kind of stance on the Belichick stuff is I don't see the point in firing him. I don't see what that accomplishes. 
I think with some people, they just want to kind of see Bill fired so they can get a comeuppance to be like, see, you know, you didn't answer my... I probably shouldn't go down that, that road, but it's like, I think the whole... I think that there's a huge contingent of people that cover this team that kind of want to see Bill fail because they see him as arrogant and not willing to answer all their questions. And I think it's kind of a long, a long-standing thing where, you know, it's, I think it's part of the reason why you see some people writing and saying some harsh things about the coach, because I think it's just, they plain just don't like the coach and I think want to see him fail and do poorly. Um, but I just, I don't see the, the, the point in, you know, firing him. You know, it really kind of doesn't make sense other than to appease the media culture with this team. And I just think that, you know, Robert Kraft, I don't think is a dumb owner. I think that firing Bill Belichick, no matter what, this team's record is this year is a dumb decision because I just don't think that that really solves anything at the end of the day. You know, I think that if Bill walks away and retires, that's fine. But it's like, how stupid are you going to look if you fire him? And believe me, he is going to be hired right away. Like, the Los Angeles Chargers will hire him right away. And they probably are going to win a Super Bowl. And I just think, do you really want that? That you're just going to fire this coach because he had one bad season? And that's what it is, by the way. I don't want to hear this, oh, well, you've not been good since Brady left. They've been mediocre and competitive. That's not what this year is. This year is bad. This year is by far the worst year they've ever had. And I just think this is what bad looks like. To some people, going 7 and 10, 8 and 9, they think that that's bad. That's not bad. It's like when I said earlier this year that things could get a lot worse. They have gotten worse. I just think... You know, if you go through a bad season, that's fine. But I think Bill Belichick, more than any other coach in the history of this game, deserves a mulligan and I think deserves to be the right coach to kind of see this team through the next phase. And look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Bob Kraft doesn't see it that way and chooses to let him go. But I think... I just think that would be an incredibly short-sighted decision because I think that, again, it doesn't solve anything. Doesn't doesn't make... I like I just don't think it changes much. Um, and I think, it, if anything, it becomes harder for this team to get back to, you know, where they want to be. So, you know, that's kind of just my take on the thing, but... I also just think a coach that has signed a multi-year extension probably doesn't get fired. You know, I think that, I don't know, I just have a hard time believing that that's what's going to happen, that this organization is going to fire someone or fire the head coach mid-season. That's a whole nother conversation that, I'm sorry, that's what loser franchises do. This franchise should not be doing that. They're a well-run organization that should not be doing things like that. So, yeah. I don't really want to get further into this because I think it's not really going to get anywhere. But I think, you know, it, it, is, it is what it is with this team the rest of the year that I think if you're going to want to be a fan that wants to see them lose, so be it. You know, I think that they're not going to be losing on purpose, but they might just lose games because the team's not very good. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think the Patriots owe it to some of the guys to, you know, 
compete and play hard the rest of the season and try to, you know, play for pride, win a couple games. Um, because I think, because trust me, as much as I think we as fans think that, you know, the last eight games are a waste of time and no one cares, the guys in that room do care. And I think that they want to be better. You know, I think that they are frustrated that they're not playing well. And I think they want to continue to compete. So, you know, you just hope that everyone in that room is together and I think connected and it's hard when you're two and seven. And I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, outside noise that's going to be coming in over the next few weeks with people that, you know, are probably going to say things and, you know, doubt that there's any type of connectivity in that locker room. So, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see what what comes of the next eight games and, you know, what I think that I'm most curious to see if Mac Jones continues to be the starting quarterback of this team. And I think when this gets closer to the end of the regular season, when we start getting to four, when we start getting to three, four games left in the regular season, does Malik Cunningham get some looks? Does Will Greer get some looks? You know, I think you want to continue to see what Mac Jones can do, but I think, in my opinion, you've kind of seen what he can do. And I think, unfortunately, you're seeing a quarterback that just is just not confident. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of throws where they're wobbly. He's not stepping into it. You know, I hate to compare him to Joe Burrow, but it's like if you're watching the Sunday night football game last night and you look at the way that Joe Burrow is stepping into throws, is confident every time he throws the ball. It's just, I don't understand why Mac Jones can't do that because he's certainly capable of it. We've seen it in college and we saw it for parts of his rookie year. And I think I just kind of don't understand where that's gone. And sure, is some of it offensive line? Absolutely. But I think at the end of the day, you know, your quarterback has to show some signs of progress. And we've not really seen it for much of this season. We've seen, I mean, we've seen flashes of it. We've seen through a couple of different stretches of this season that he's been a good quarterback. But then other times where you've seen a guy that I think is a bottom half, bottom third quarterback in the league where he's making a lot of bad mistakes. So uh, Patriots next game is in Germany against the Colts. So 9.30 start next week on Sunday. So an early wake-up call for those of you interested in the Patriots taking on the four and five Colts, you know, I think that it's going to be probably another similar game to this, um, to this game yesterday. You know, how do the Patriots slow down some of the Colts' big-time offensive players, Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, you know, they're obviously without the rookie quarterback, Anthony Richardson. So we'll see how the Patriots can do. You know, I think that, again, this is another another game that they can win and it's perfectly reasonable to expect them to win. I kind of thought that was the case this week, but obviously they come up short, but I think, yes, it'll be another kind of low scoring close game. See if the Patriots can make the plays uh, at the end to get a win because I think, you know, I want to continue to hope that they can get some wins because I think they have a lot of guys that are working really hard and I think deserve to see some, see something good happen to them. You know, even if in the grand scheme of things, people don't like them winning games because it, you know, screws up their draft position, whatever. I, I could care less about that to be perfectly honest. So we're going to move on quickly. Talk about the revolution who have game two of their first round series against the Philadelphia Union coming up on Wednesday night at Gillette Stadium. Revs obviously losing game one, so they need to win to stay alive. Carlos Hewlett sounds like 
is okay. We'll be able to return Wednesday night. So the Revs, obviously, a must-win game here uh, to force a game three. That would be Sunday afternoon in Philadelphia. So <clears throat> see what the Revs can do. <clears throat> In potentially their last game of the season, although I like their chances. The Revs have been very good at home this season, have only lost one game, so I like their chances uh, to force a game of three, but we'll see what they can do. Uh, see if Clint PA sticks with Jacob Jackson in goal for this game, too. See if there are any other changes um, in the Revs. Uh, starting unit, you know, I think if Carlos Hill can return, gives the Revs, um, gives the Revs a boost, absolutely, but I think defensively, they got to be on their toes, and they got to be much better than they were in game one, so again, game two, seven o'clock at Gillette, Revs need to win to stay alive, so no Red Sox really to talk about, uh, but we will talk some off-season baseball with Eric Bellier uh, on Guest Friday later this week. So Craig Breslow obviously had his introductory press conference, you know, and I think really had anything notable, but we'll definitely, I'm definitely curious about Eric's uh, opinion on that hiring for the Red Sox. But any other Red Sox news, keep you folks updated through that rest of the off-season. So we're going to talk about some baseball notes before we go talk about NFL Week 9. Texas Rangers winning their first World Series in team history, beating the Diamondbacks in five games. 5 nothing the final score in Game 5. Nathan Evaldi, the winning pitcher. Corey Seager, World Series MVP. So the Rangers finally winning their first World Series uh, last week. Kevin Kiermeyer and Matt Chapman of the Blue Jays among players that won gold gloves yesterday. Um, both of them winning their fourth career gold gloves. Um, free agents actually today, starting at 5 p.m., can start signing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I don't expect anything major to happen. Um, until maybe the winter meetings in December, but we'll see. I mean, obviously, we'll talk more with Eric Bellier later. This week, Joey Votto's career with the Reds coming to an end as he'll be a free agent. Tim Anderson and Corey Kluber opting out of their contracts. Marcus Stroman of the Cubs as well. And I think we're going to move back to some football here. So Thursday night this week, the Steelers with a late game. Late game win for the Steelers. At home, 20-16, to 16, the final score. They beat the Titans. A touchdown pass to Deontay Johnson for the win from, uh, I wanted to say Will Levis, but no, he played quarterback for the Titans in this game. Kenny Pickett to Deontay Johnson for the winning touchdown with four minutes to go. Steelers win, improved to 5-3. and three. Titans fall to 3-5. and five. There was an early morning game yesterday in Germany, the Chiefs outlasting the Dolphins 21-14. to Chiefs using a scoop and score to build a 21-0 lead. They held on to beat the Dolphins. Chiefs improve to 7-2. Dolphins fall to 6-3. The Vikings using recently picked up Josh Dobbs, uh, beat the Falcons 31-28. Dobbs had been traded to the Vikings from the Cardinals last week at the trade deadline after Kirk Cousins had 
torn his Achilles, so the Vikings get a dramatic win. 31-28, the final score in this one. The Browns get their fifth win of the season against the Cardinals. 27-0, Deshaun Watson, two touchdown passes in his return. The Packers beat the Rams at home, 20-3. Aaron Jones with the rushing touchdown Packers defense. Uh, doing a good job in this one. The Saints improved to 5-4, beating the Bears 24-17. Bears fall to 2-7. Ravens destroy the Seahawks at home, 37-3. A couple of defensive touchdowns in this game. Ravens win 37-3, Ravens 7-2. Seahawks 5-3. C.J. Stroud, tremendous performance yesterday. 470 yards of rookie record. Passing and five touchdowns. Texans even their record at four and four with the win. The Colts beat the Panthers 27 to 13. Patriots playing the Colts in Germany next week. Raiders get their first win with Antonio Pierce as their head coach, dominating the Giants 30 to 6. Eagles outlasted the Cowboys in a pretty exciting game. 28-23, the final score. Eagles improved. 8-1, and then the Bengals outlasting the Bills last night. They improved to 5-3. Buffalo Falls to 5-4, and, and then the Monday night game tonight. The Chargers traveling to East Rutherford, New Jersey, to take on the Jets. Should be a pretty interesting game for um, AFC playoff positioning. So just some notes from yesterday's games. Uh, the Giants have confirmed this morning that Daniel Jones has torn his ACL, um, so he will miss the remainder of the season. Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard has a forearm fracture, so he's expected to miss a couple of weeks. And so we'll take a look at some NBA notes. James Harden, after the trade to the Clippers, Last week will make his debut tonight against the Knicks. And we will take a look at some games on the schedule tonight. Clippers obviously in New York. To, as James Harden makes his Clippers debut. Celtics and Timberwolves at 8. Number of games at 7 o'clock. Golden State and Detroit. San Antonio, Indiana, Dallas. In Orlando, Washington, and Philadelphia. At 7.30 on NBA TV, the Lakers play the Heat. Also at 7.30, the Bucks play the Nets. Clippers play the Knicks. 8 o'clock start in Chicago as Utah visits the Bulls. Sacramento plays the Rockets. Atlanta and the Thunder also at 8 o'clock. And then at 9 o'clock, New Orleans and Denver. Take a quick, just a quick brief look at the standings. Celtics atop the East at 5-0. Denver atop the West at 6-1. And, and we'll go quickly to talking about some NHL news. NHL news. Jack Hughes had to leave the Devils road trip with a week-to-week -week injury, so he'll be out for a little bit. The San Jose Sharks tying an NHL record. With 11 losses to start the year, they have allowed uh, 10 goals in back-to-back -back games. Pretty ugly stuff. Um, and so we'll take a look at some games tonight. Bruins in Dallas at 8, Tampa Bay and Toronto, Columbus and Florida at 7, and then Edmonton and Vancouver at 10 o'clock tonight. So we'll take a look at some standings before we let you folks go. In the east to the Bruins with... A four-point lead over Detroit for tops in the Atlantic. So it's the Bruins, the Red Wings, and the Lightning, the top three in the Atlantic division at the moment. In the Metro, it's the Rangers, the Devils, and the Hurricanes. And then the Islanders and the Maple Leafs in the wild card positions. Dallas is, the, is tops in the Central. Colorado, Winnipeg, second and third. And then Vegas, lighting the league on fire 
with an 11-1-1 record, 23 points, their first in the Pacific, followed by Vancouver and Los Angeles, and then the wildcard spots, Anaheim and St. Louis, with the early leads there. So I think that's going to do it for me this week. We'll be back, obviously, later this week to talk some baseball with Eric Bellier. It'd be great to have Eric back on the program. It's been a while. Um, So yeah, everyone enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the rest of your day. And we'll talk to you later this week.